ransomware. What can individuals and organizations do to better battle this malware-based threat? Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz, Executive Editor with Information Security Media Group, and I'm speaking with Mark James, an IT security specialist with ESET. Mark, thanks very much for joining me. No problem, Matthew. Thank you. Ransomware. How did we get here? I think ransomware is such a prolific threat at the moment because it's so destructive. And I think it's it's one of those things that with malware, it tends to become something that people are used to. And they see it day in, day out. They deal with it day in, day out. And it almost becomes a, oh, well, it's just part of the IT industry. It's just part of owning a computer and it's part of being on the internet. And I think with things like ransomware, it's not just a part of something. It actually can be a very destructive end result for something that people just think is part of the internet. And I think the problem with ransomware is once it gets hold, people are sort of tricked into thinking that they really have to pay the ransom to get anywhere. And the problem we have, of course, is quite often it would seem to be the only end result. The problem with paying the ransomware is you are, you know, traditionally just funding criminals. You are basically rewarding them for what they're doing and saying, look, yeah, hey, I've paid this time charge me more next time, try and make some more money next time. And the problem is you don't always realize or you're not always in a position where you can get back sometimes very personal, sometimes irreplaceable documents, pictures back from any type of encrypted environment. Never mind the economics of being a large organization like Presbyterian Health that we saw targeted in Hollywood or some of the other hospitals or reportedly lots of banks quietly pay up. All sorts of organizations in every sector is what I'm hearing. Yeah, and the problem is you almost get pulled into a trust relationship that you're not necessarily always going to be trustful with them. You know, you see the screen, the screen says, hey, if you want your data back, you've got to pay the reward. You pay the reward, and the problem is even if you pay the reward, you're not always guaranteed to get your decryption. That whole payment process is completely separate to the means for decrypting the data. So therefore, even if you pay the bitcoins or the digital currency, whatever it is, there's no real guarantee that you're going to be in a position to get that data back. And where are you going to go from there? Because you're not going to get a refund. You know, you're not going to be able to say, hey, guys, I paid the money, but you know, I haven't got my keys. I mean, they've already proven their moral standing. You know, they are criminals. So the problem is that we in the security industry, you know, our job is to shut down these back end services, to shut down the very servers that are going to distribute the malware. And in Doing so, part of that might be shutting down these end servers, which you're looking at to try and get your decryption keys or your means to decrypt the data and get back up and running again. The only effective solution for ransomware is backup. Backup and disaster recovery is your only way forward to be in a situation where you can say, I can 100% get back from this situation. I just restore from a backup. Right. Anti-malware tools, essential. Having an offline disconnected backup, yep. essential. Yep. And I guess if you're an organization, like you were speaking about a disaster recovery plan, this isn't a zero-sum game. If you do get infected, you are going to be offline for some period of time. So you have to take that into account when you're planning on how you're going to recover. Indeed. The problem we find is making sure that you understand the differences between backup and backup and disaster recovery and understanding what you need to achieve from your solution. So typically people associate backup with a copy of your data and a copy of your data isn't the same as having a disaster recovery solution. You may have a solution where you replicate data real time from one place to another. Now if that original source data gets compromised, whether it be infected or encrypted, then all you're going to do is you're going to move that encrypted data over the top of your known good. So your only effective way is to take point-in-time backups, which are, like you say, kept off-site, replicated somewhere, which isn't going to get also infected or affected by the encryption in the first place. And that's the other problem. We need to make sure that we've looked at 
the possibility of the malware that's in your network, which has encrypted your internal data, actually accessed in these areas where you're storing this data. It's quite difficult, I think, for people to grasp exactly everything that's involved in protecting that data and also having a means to get it back. We talk about backup solutions and we talk about getting people back running again, but often people don't always look at their backups to make sure that they are easily recoverable or even indeed to make sure that the data has the right integrity and is accessible as quickly as possible if that data is offline. Will solving this problem require a more big picture approach potentially on the order of Microsoft releasing a version of Windows that creates ransomware proof backups or something like that? Is there I, a technology solution? I, I, I don't think so. I think, to be honest, we just need to understand that it's not going to be a single solution that's going to help with this. It's going to be a multi-levered approach that's going to deal with things like the right type of basics from internet security, the right type of education to help people understand the attack vectors when we look at malware and then when we look at encryption, and just making sure that people understand you know, what they can do themselves. I mean, we need a good base software that is going to do a reasonably good job at protecting against the delivery method in the first place, which is your malware side of things, making sure that your Windows is up to date, is on the latest version, making sure as well that your applications are up to date. Quite often, everybody concentrates on your Windows platform, you need to be on Windows 10, you need to be running the latest version. But the problem is we are very much a install and forget sort of industry. If we want to say, we want to have a look at maybe running a video file, you'll have a look, you maybe do a, a internet search on the best free video player and you'll get a solution, you'll have a look at it. If it isn't right, you'll then go and have a look for another one. So you may end up installing two or three different applications to do a job. The problem is, is remembering that actually, look, if we find one that works, let's get rid of the old ones. Let's not leave these old programs on our machine. Because the other problem we come against is, a lot of this software will only check for a new update once you run the software. So if you're not running the software, it's never going to check for an update. So you're never going to know that there's a newer version available. And if there's vulnerabilities or exploits found in these older versions of the software, you may never know that they have been fixed or they could be fixed or even that there is a problem in the first place. So it's just about making sure that you've got the right knowledge to know that all of these need looking at. These are all the possible problems. And you just need to look at those and go, well, actually, that affects me. That doesn't affect me. That affects me. So this is what I need to look at and make sure those bases are covered. Reducing your attack surface by leaving a lot less old code laying around. Indeed. And that's where we see the vulnerabilities and the exploits. So if we can remove that from the machine, a good policy that says, hey, this program hasn't been run for two or three months or two or three weeks. And if it hasn't been run, let's remove it. If you find that you do need it in a couple of months' time, to be honest, with the internet these days, it's minutes to get it reinstalled and get it reworking. Or if you've got an application that you're continually using and it's not being updated, then maybe you should have a look at an alternative that is being updated and is being maintained and just removes that problem. Because I think it's very difficult from a business point of view to get everybody in the organization to be responsible for every single means of attack. You need to say, look, if I'm going to put the onus on you, I need to make sure you've got as much information as possible so that you can make a fair assumption of whether that is a possible threat or whether I can just run that application or go to that website in the first place. Is there a way to institutionalize that on an enterprise level or is it necessarily going to be down to the individual PC owner or user? No, absolutely. I mean, there are many different means that we can use to make things easier and put in place global policies and global rule sets to make sure that this particular group of programs can't be run or we can have even Windows group policies that can say, look, this is what you can do and this is what you can't do. And of course, the other problem is if you're going to instigate those sort of things, we need to understand or we need to make sure that our users understand why we're doing something. If you just say to people, you can't use this or you can't go there or you can't plug this in, 
people immediately take a bit of a defense. So, well, why? Why can't I do that? You know, what's the problem? What are you hiding? Whereas if the right information is put over and we say to people, hey, look, this is the problem. This is how we're going to address the problem. This is how you can help strengthen our security in our company. And you sort of want everybody to be on your side. You want everybody to work for the company. And the only real way that you're going to do that is to incorporate them into the security measures and make them feel a very important part of keeping the company secure. Mark, thanks very much for your time and advice today. No problem. Thank you very much. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Thank you for joining us.